Good morning. How are we this morning? Sun shining. It's great, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's great to um, be here this morning speaking to you about um, the next parable in our series. We've been looking since uh, the beginning of January at this series on stories that Jesus told. Jesus told lots of stories. It was his favorite way of communicating. And we have these stories recorded and we get to uh, work out maybe what they mean, different things that he could be alluding to, what he's saying about what God thinks of us, thinks of his world, what God wants from us, what God has um, for us as well. And there are two themes, I think, that come out time and time again in these stories, these parables that Jesus tells. The first thing is about God. It is about the fact that God is amazingly loving. God is compassionate. God is generous. God is great. And he has this extravagant love for each one of us and for his creation, the worlds that we get to enjoy. And that includes you and me. That is amazing, God's incredible love. That's the first thing that these parables keep talking about. We looked back in January at the parable of the the lost son and the lost sheep and lost coin. And those parables were about how God was going to look for the one that was lost and God was going to go to whatever lengths were necessary to find that one. That is the love that God has for us. And that's the first theme that comes across through all of these parables. And the second theme that keeps coming up time and time again is that we who are Christians, we who are part of the church, are called to be in community with one another, with God, and to reflect that abundant, incredible love that God has to each other and to the world. We are called to be extravagant in the way we welcome people, in the way we show love, in the way we forgive, in the way we are hospitable towards other people. And that is a theme that has come up again time and time again. We looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan back in um, January, and that was about how actually we have a response. How can we show that welcome towards each other and towards other people? But Jesus does not, um, I don't think he's under any illusions as to how tricky it actually is to be like that, to show that kind of love and welcome towards other people. He makes it really clear that that's tricky, that's really challenging, because for the most part, and I include myself very much in this, we have a tendency to be a little bit self-involved and a little bit self-righteous. It's quite easy, isn't it, to assume the best of ourselves and the worst of other people. When someone else does something annoying or irritating, we think, oh, for goodness sake, why did they do that? That was so irritating, so annoying, you know, that they barged past me in the supermarket, or they did that, or, you know, driving on the road, and they didn't indicate, all of those things. And when we make those same mistakes, we're like, yeah, but I'm tired. I'm, you know, I've had a long day, I'm stressed, I'm in an emergency. We think the best of ourselves and the worst of other people. And Jesus kind of knows that. And he calls us to this hard task of of looking out for those who are different, those who are excluded, those who are marginalized, those who don't do things like we do, and show them welcome and hospitality. 
And that, that second theme, the one about what our response is to God's love, is one that we're looking at today in this story we're about to get to, the story called The Workers in the Vineyard. We'll come to that in just a second. Now, this story is told in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's in chapter 20. It's right at the beginning of chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, you might want to have it out and open. If you don't, and if you want to put your hand up, I'm sure someone in the host team will grab you one. They're always at the back, so do grab one if you don't have one when you come in. Now, to make sense of Matthew chapter 20, we're going to start in Matthew uh, chapter 19. Because this gives us a little bit of context to the story that Jesus is telling us. Now, in verse 16 of chapter 19, Jesus is uh, greeted by a rich young man. And the rich young man says to Jesus, teacher, he says, what should I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? Jesus says to him, well, what do you think? And he says, well, I keep all the laws. And Jesus says, that's great. You keep all the laws, you love people, you treat them well, you honor your father and mother, you worship God, you do all of those things, great. But the one thing you lack is you need to sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. What must I do to be saved? Jesus basically says, sell everything and follow me. And the guy goes, no, I can't do that. He walks away sad because that is too much for him. And at this point, the disciples are like, well, well, you know, if, if he can't do it, who, how is it possible for anyone to be saved? How is it possible for anyone to inter- in, inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, it's not possible for humans, but things are possible for God that aren't possible for human beings. It's a weird thing. Not sure what he's saying. It's a bit vague. Now, at this point, the disciples are clearly a little bit edgy because they're like, well, we've done quite a lot already. So are we in? Are we saved? Are we going to inherit eternal life? Peter turns to Jesus and he wants to remind Jesus of something. Now, it's always good when someone wants to remind Jesus of something. I don't think that Jesus needed reminding. But Peter says to Jesus, But but we're not like that rich young man. We've left everything. We left our families, our jobs, our money, everything to follow you, right? We're good, right? We're included. We're the good people. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 you're doing well. You're good. He says, you will inherit eternal life. There is a reward for you. But he says that with an important disclaimer at the end. And these are the last uh, words of chapter 19. Jesus says, that is true. You will get a reward for what you've done. But he says, the many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Again, it seems a little bit vague. And a lot of the time, we have to grapple with what Jesus is saying. What is he really getting at here? Well, What he goes on to say in chapter 20 is an elaboration of that point. The many who are last will be first and the first will be last is elaborated in chapter 20. Because this story is about how God will repay different kinds of workers. How God treats people who have been faithfully, loyally serving him from the beginning, from the beginning of their lives, from the beginning of when they were called, the beginning of their journey of being a Christian. And they did things really well, a bit like the disciples. How God will repay those people, but also how God will repay people like that rich young man, the man who 
He turned away at that point and walked away. And maybe he came back to God later, back to following Jesus later on in his life, maybe right at the 11th hour. How is God going to repay that man in comparison to those disciples? Well, this parable, this story, elaborates the point Jesus is trying to make. So let's look at Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 1. It should appear on the screen, but you can follow in your own Bibles as well. This is what Jesus says. I'm going to blow my nose first, so sorry. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came, came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and, and the heat of the day. But he said, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Did you not agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Do I not have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first last. Okay, so what do we do with this? Well, the first thing I want us to do is to look really carefully at some elements in this story which we might not um, uh, see are quite unusual or quite unexpected. Now, the first thing is right at the beginning of the story. Jesus describes this landowner, this guy who owns this vineyard, um, as someone who goes out first thing in the morning, 6 a.m. Most The standard working day was 12 hours, 6 a.m., the first hour, till 6 p.m., the last hour. Goes out at 6 a.m. to look for workers. Now, in the ancient um, sort of Middle Eastern culture, if you were a master, if you were a landowner, you would not do that yourself. You would have someone, your foreman, your, um, there would be like a manager who would do that for you. And so they would go out and look for workers on your behalf. And this guy clearly does have a manager. He does have someone who could have done that, but he goes out himself. The landowner goes to look for workers himself, and he promises them a denarius, which was standard. That was a standard day's uh, daily rate at the time. 
And this kind of practice of workers gathering in, in a common space, a marketplace, is one that um, happens today. It happens in lots of countries. Uh, day laborers, casual workers will gather in certain places. They will be picked up first thing in the morning uh, to go and work on a site or doing something in particular. And actually, it does still happen in this country from time to time. But if you think about it, to do that, and some of us may have been in that experience at some point, um, it's quite a vulnerable thing to do because these workers probably had wives and children that they needed to provide for and they had no means of getting that money unless someone hired them that day. They were living hand to mouth every day. Do I get my denarius? If I do, I can feed my family. If I don't, I can't. That was how their lives were. And so it's quite a vulnerable thing and potentially quite humiliating because if you don't get employed, everyone can see it. They're walking past you. You're in this big open space. People can see that you haven't been employed for that day and you're not going to be able to provide for your family. So this master goes out and he hires these workers, but he does this another four times in the day. Now, normally you would just go out once, you'd hire your workers, they would work, and then they would go home at the end of the day. So either this landowner is very, very bad at working out how many workers he needs, um, or there's something else going on here, because to go back another four times would indicate he has not got his maths right, he is not organized, he has no clue how to do this, or it's saying something else. And he promises that each each of these groups, those who are hired at 9 a.m., at 12, at 3 p.m., all of them, he says he will pay what is right. He doesn't elaborate, and they accept that, yeah, they trust him. He, they will get at least some money, definitely not a full day's wage, but they will get some money for their work. And then, they, and then the master goes out at the 5 p.m., the 11th hour, an hour left. The sun was probably starting to set at this point. The master's back again. He's still hunting for workers. He really should have sorted this out uh, first thing in the morning, but he's at back again. And these are the people who, um, who agree to work for him without any promise of pay. They agree to go to the vineyard. Perhaps that sense that we've been standing around all day doing nothing. I'd rather work for free and not be totally humiliated, even if I don't get paid, was better than standing in that marketplace, dealing with people passing by, looking down on them. You know, it's quite embarrassing, quite humiliating. They agree to work for nothing. And so the end of the day comes around at 6 p.m. The steward starts handing out the wages. And he starts with those who've been there since five. <clears throat> now remember, they had agreed to work, they basically agreed to work for nothing. They weren't promised a payment. And so when they get their denarius, their whole day's wage, imagine how they're going to feel. Instead of going home with that embarrassment, that shame, that humiliation, they can provide for their family. What an incredible act of generosity. Imagine their delight. They can go home and put food on the table. They've got something to show for their day. And similarly, those who'd only been there a few hours weren't going to be thinking, I'm going to get a whole denarius. And they do. Isn't that incredible? They are provided for, each one of them. They can equally go home and provide. So we get to those who've been there since 6 a.m., the crack of dawn. They've done their 12-hour stint. 
And I think I'd be with them in assuming this master is generous. He is giving way above and beyond. What am I going to get? This is looking pretty good for me. I'm maybe get two denarius, maybe a little bit of a bonus. Who knows what? I don't think that that's an un unreasonable thing to assume. But they get one denarius. And in comparison, they feel, well, he's being pretty ungenerous to us. But the master reminds them, the landowner says, actually, you're getting what you agreed. This is what was promised. This is a daily rate. I'm being fair. The fact that other people are getting more than you, actually, that's not your problem. I'm being generous. I choose to be generous to who I want. You've got what you uh, agreed for, and you can go away happy. And Jesus ends the parable just as he began with those words, the last will be first and the first last. So there are two things that I think we can pick, um, we can learn from this parable, two things I think Jesus is trying to tell us. And I wonder, before we get into it, how comfortable are you with this story? How at ease are you? Who do you identify with in the story? Maybe you identify with those crack of dawn workers. Maybe you identify with those who are very late to the party. I said back in January that Jesus' parables comfort the disturbed and they disturb the comfortable. So maybe there's something in that for us today. So the first thing I want us to think about is the master and how much compassion he shows. So he acts in this really surprising, uncharacteristic way. He seems to really care about people who are down on their luck. That's why he keeps going back to the marketplace. That's why he keeps wanting to um, employ people himself. These people at 9 o'clock, midday, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they're getting pretty hopeless. No one comes to pick up workers at that time. They're not going to have anything to show for their day. They are at the point of despair. And the master cares about them. He comes and says, I will give you a job. I want you. I will give you what you need for today. He cares about those who no one else cares about and makes a personal effort to lift them out of their despair. And Jesus seems to be telling us that this is what God is like. God is like the owner of the vineyard. He cares about those who are in a hopeless situation. He comes looking for us, for all of us. He wants to provide us with all that we need. He wants us to live lives that are significant for his kingdom. And actually, we could call this parable, not the, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, but the parable of the compassionate landowner, the gracious God. Because that's who God is, and that's what God is like. And for some of us, that's not the image of God that we have built up in our minds. We don't see God as caring or compassionate. We see God as harsh or judgmental. And we kind of know that that's not right, but we have this innate thing within us, maybe from our childhood, maybe from what people have told us, that you know, God's like this draconian authority figure who wants to, um, to punish us. But actually, God cares deeply. God cares deeply for each one of us. God is like this master, going back time and time again to that marketplace. God enters into our lives. God comes looking for us, time and time and time again. 
even up to the 11th hour. And God shows us this incredible love, most clearly and most obviously through Jesus, who came to our world, into our mess, into our brokenness, died for us, rose again so that we can know how much we're loved by God. And God wants us to work in his vineyard. God wants us to work for his kingdom and gives us his Holy Spirit to enable us to do that here and now because God is compassionate. That's the first point. And the second point is this, that this compassionate God is also incredibly gracious and incredibly generous. The center of this parable is at the moment of payment. The moment when these workers are gathered together and the money is distributed. And those who had been there from the beginning think that this is a moment where they're massively underpaid, don't they? They think they're not paid enough. Actually, most people in this story are massively overpaid, aren't they? No one is underpaid. Most people are massively overpaid. And for those who have worked longer, this seems unfair. It seems unfair that uh, they don't get more than other people. And I wonder if this is something we can identify with. How do we feel when we have worked really hard? It might be in our jobs, in our uh, relationships, in our friendships. We've worked really hard for something and someone else seems to get the same and doesn't seem to have worked very hard for it at all. I get really angry about that. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not just. I've worked for this. I've waited for this. I've longed for this thing, and it comes like that to you. I can really identify with those, um, those workers who've been there all day long. And this is the way our culture works, isn't it? If you work hard, you get paid. You get a reward. You get what you deserve. You, put, you get out what you put in. That's the way we're encouraged to think, isn't it? Our economy is largely based on this. If you work hard, you get good things. And if you don't, then you don't. But if we take this way of thinking to an extreme, then we're left with a few questions. We're left with questions. What about the elderly? What about people who are unwell? What about people with additional needs? People who find themselves redundant or unemployed? What about people who can't work because of reasons outside their control? If we hold on to that doctrine that says you get out what you put in, you work, you get a reward, then actually are we saying people can't have what they need to survive because they haven't done that? Well, thankfully, our country doesn't work exclusively on that model. and We do have provision for those uh, in need, independent of what work they have done. And this is the way of the vineyard owner as well. He seems to be much more concerned about meeting people's needs than doing what is fair in our eyes. Because those workers who'd been standing at the marketplace all day without work and, and work for one hour in the day, do they have one hour's worth of needs? No, they have a whole day's worth of needs. They need a denarius just as much as anyone else to provide for the needs of themselves and their families. The vineyard owner seems to care about those needs and want to provide for them. That's God's way. God's way is one that, that looks at those needs and longs to meet them. And the kingdom of God is a place where people matter. 
regardless of who they are or what they've done. Now, this attitude doesn't just kind of affect us in an economic sense. We can have it in a spiritual way, too. It's easy for those of us who've been faithful Christians our whole lives to really look down on people who um, don't get church like we do. They don't know how to behave properly. They don't do things like we do. They don't quite have the right way of conducting themselves. Or we've been faithfully plowing away for years and years and years in our walk with Jesus. And other people kind of come along and get some glory, get some praise, get some recognition that we think we deserve because we got there first. That's a familiar feeling to some of us, I think, isn't it? Just because we got there first, we think we deserve more than other people. And I remember this, um, this time I led a youth group um, where this kind of mentality really affected the young people. Because this youth group was really dysfunctional. It was incredibly dysfunctional. I was not a good youth worker. I'm glad I'm not doing that here. I try, but I'm, I'm not good at it. Um, the young people were chaotic. They were messy. They were dysfunctional. And we tried really hard to make the youth group work for them. And it took years. And eventually, we got to this kind of level of just about functional dysfunctionality with them. And, um, <clears throat> and they knew that we tried really hard to include them, to involve them, to get them to come to stuff, um, to look after them. We, they knew we tried really hard for that. And as soon as they'd found themselves in this kind of group that was just about uh, workable, they wanted us to shut the doors and not do that for anyone else. They wanted us to um, look after them, to keep things as they wanted them, and to stop going and looking for other young people who might need their needs met, who might need to know something of God's love and God's acceptance of them. They didn't want us to care about anyone new because they were in, they wanted it to be about them, they got there first, they were most important, that was their attitude. And we can often be like that, I think. But God doesn't think like that. God wants everyone to know his amazing love, his generosity, his forgiveness. That is available to drug-dealing murderers as much as it is to saints. That is unfair. That is not right in some ways. But that is the gracious, scandalous love of God. And so instead of begrudging the fact that God chooses to be gracious to everyone, instead of being like in another story... Do you remember that story of the lost son, the elder brother? He's been there the whole time, doing the right thing, behaving appropriately, looking, uh, doing what he's told, working for his dad. And he hates the fact that his dad is generous towards his brother. He's like, well, I've been doing it all the whole time. Instead of being like that, can we celebrate the fact that we have a God who is gracious, who is generous, who wants to include everyone wants everyone to have that full life, working in his vineyard, working, being included in his family. And perhaps today there is someone or something that we need to choose, uh, instead of being annoyed about the way that God chooses to honour them and to love them and to accept them, we need to put that down and then choose to uh, celebrate that that's who God is and that's how God sees people. And I think this issue of envy is so critical to the lives of Christians because when we get envious, we build up barriers between us and other people. We, we don't see them the way that God does. We see the thing that they've got that we want. We see the ways that we are jealous of them. And Jesus wants us to get over it. That's why in this story, 
the people who had been there the whole day have to see the fact that this, these 11th hour workers get paid the same as them. Because actually, if Jesus had um, just wanted to make a point that, everyone, that God's generous to everyone, he would have paid the, the people who'd been there uh, longest first. They would have gone away happy. They got their denarius, off they go. But instead, they have to watch and see that, that this owner, this landowner, is being generous to people who they think don't deserve it. The point is, Jesus wants us to get over ourselves, get over our selfishness, get over our envy and our jealousy. And I know that I have that as much as any of us may have it. And I know that God wants me to uh, confront where I'm envious of people who maybe in the church um, seem more gifted or talented than me. People who are more spiritual, people who are more prayerful. Maybe it's in other areas of our life where we get envious um, as well, when other people get good things. But God wants to give good things to all of us. So who are we to say no? Being a follower of Jesus should never come with this sense of smug superiority. It's not about that. God keeps going out looking for new people. He wants other people to join in. He wants to share that grace with everyone. And it might seem unfair to us, But we need to do some work and we need to get over it because that's our problem. That's what the owner says. It's our problem. It's not God's. Now, sitting here today, you might feel like an 11th hour worker, someone who is kind of late to the party. You're not sure that you're included. You're not sure that you are welcome. But actually, God sees you. God's gone out looking for you. You matter. And you are a recipient of that crazy, unbounded grace and love of God as much as anyone else. But you might be sitting here thinking you're more like that first hour worker, that person who's been there all day. And if that's you, don't resent those who come late. Don't resent the generosity of God. Instead, choose to to confront that in yourself, maybe this week. How can you do that? It might be a, a shift in a way of thinking. But it might be choosing acts of generosity that are completely unmerited towards other people. So as a sign that you know that God is generous, God is loving, God has this for everyone, not just those who consider us ourselves are the the kind of early, early dawn, the full day workers. I wonder where you're at. 